What it means is the word apostolic in the Bible means to be sent. And what it means is we believe as a community that churches shouldn't exist alone. That actually we're called to operate together and that we send people. In fact, a couple of years ago, um, we sent around 10%, about 80 people from our adult con- congregation uh, to serve churches in this nation and, and overseas. And we really do believe in that. And so that's why very often I will travel and the team, uh, the staff team and also volunteers will travel as part of our community. And so firstly, just to say we've been away for a few weeks, so it's great to be back. And to see your smi- mostly smiling faces, uh, to see your smiling faces, it's good to be back. And thank you for just for sending us so well uh, whenever we go. And uh, just some of you though might not know what you do when you go. You know, apart from sitting by the pool, what what else do you do when you go? And uh, a few things. One one is obviously we input to leadership teams, so that's often what I do. We'll meet with teams who lead other churches, and and just like we have others who've helped us over the years, we go and help them and uh, input them in terms of how to build team, how to um, buy buildings, how to grow uh, healthy churches, those kind of things. So we do that, and that's definitely one of the, the things. Like, for example, recently we uh, went to a church, and, and sometimes when you go in from the outside, it becomes obvious that the, the things that people can't see when they're in it, and we've had the same experience with others coming to us, you can just see. So the first thing that struck us as we were there was, oh gosh, you're in this building, but it's too small. You guys are like a, a plant in a pot, that the pot's too small. You need to think about moving and it was quite a, a provocation for them. They hadn't thought about it, but it's really begun a whole journey of faith for them as a community, uh, and God used us in that way. So we do that. We also um, speak uh, and teach in seminars and sessions, and we have the privilege of exporting what God's given us and taught us wherever we go. And so I was just hearing recently, Caroline and I were speaking at a conference one time, and uh, a guy uh, spoke to me just a couple of days ago, and he said, I need to tell you what happened. I've never had a chance to tell you. Um, I was there and you were speaking on disappointment and he said I had chronic abdominal pain and I'd had it for some months I was quite worried about it and I was in so much pain I couldn't even stand up for the ministry but as Caroline spoke on uh, freedom from disappointment and her journey he said for the first time I was able to express my disappointment and and kind of let that go and he said immediately the pain just disappeared there and then in the moment and this is like five years ago and he said now I've been pain free for five years I've got no problem so that was so so fun to hear And then, so we do that. And then lastly, we spend a lot of time praying with people because what we've observed over the years is lots of churches haven't got a kind of healthy prayer ministry and something that the Lord has helped us to develop is how to pray for one another and bring people through to freedom. And um, similarly, uh, a lady told me uh, a couple of days ago, she said, I, um, do you remember praying for my husband? Which is always dangerous, but I did, yay, yay. <laughs> and uh, she said, do you remember for praying for him? And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, um, you prayed for him and really helped him realize that one of his big barriers to his life was that he'd never forgiven his father. And so you led him through a prayer to forgive his father, which he did for the first time, and began this kind of journey. And she said straight after that, his business went disastrous. She said it was he had no work. It was awful, apart from the fact he had a load of time. And he spent that time traveling down to see his father, who lived two and a half hours away. And he had so much time to uh, care for his father, who was by then very sick, um, uh, and actually their relationship in that period was completely restored. And she said his, his father died last year, um, but he is such knowing such peace because he knows he was reconciled to his father at the end and their relationship was restored. I was excited by that. You don't know the impacts you guys have. Thank you. Yeah. Let's just applaud the Lord, shall we, for all he's doing. Thank you, God. So... 
it's a cost, isn't it, to send people on for, we're not here every week, and I feel the pain of that, and Caroline and the kids do an amazing job. They sometimes get to come, but mostly get to say goodbye to Dad and welcome me back. But, so they pay a cost, but it's also a huge privilege, isn't it, for us as a community. And Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. So that's what we do. Um, and so this morning, we're going to carry on our series called Incomparable, where we're exploring the character of God. And I have a little bit of a confession because uh, when I was kind of younger, I would watch, my dad never watched movies, but I would watch movies with my mother. And as we were watching the movie, towards the end, she would suddenly say, I've seen this movie before. Anyone else had that experience? And she had no clue about the movie until right like the last five minutes. She would say, I've seen this movie before. And I would say, Mom, how can you possibly watch a whole movie and not remember that you've seen it? Anyway, the irony is, and mum, if you're listening to this, you'll enjoy this. I had the same experience as I was preparing for this because we're basing this series on Incomparable, the book by Andrew Wilson. And as I was looking at it, I was thinking, have I read this before or not? <laughs> I've read a lot of books. I think I have, and I'm sure I have read it before. But I realized I need to read this book again. So there you go, mum. There's one for you. Irony after all those years of doubting you. There we go. It happens. So if you've not read this book, this is a phenomenal book to read, I think. No, it is. It is a phenomenal book to read. Incomparable by Andrew Wilson, exploring the character of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning um, as we delve into the Scripture. You know, the reality is there are things in our lives that we just take for granted and we don't miss them until they're not there, uh, like toothpaste. I know you thought I was going to say something profound, but... I. I had an epiphany the other, the other week when I went traveling and forgot my toothpaste. And it was a miserable few days without toothpaste. I'd never felt so grateful for toothpaste. And particularly the people around me also were grateful <laughs> for toothpaste in general. Toothpaste is one of those things that you just ignore until you haven't got it. You don't even notice until you haven't got it. And uh, sorry, Lord, but God, it can be a bit like that. <laughs> we can live our lives just oblivious, really, to the impact that he has on us. Uh, our understanding of God changes the way that we live our lives. And our understanding and our revelation of God, the more revelation we have, the greater the demonstration of who He is will be through our lives. The greater the revelation, the greater the demonstration. The more we understand the character, the nature, who He is, the more it will change us and the more it will change the world around us. You know, take um, Ida Scudder. You know Ida, don't you? No. Ida Scudder is one of my and my daughter's heroes in the faith. We love reading missionary stories, which we do every now and again. And Ida, her story was that she was a young girl with her parents living in India. And she lived there. They were missionary doctors. And to be honest, she hated it. She hated living in India. She hated the lifestyle. She wanted to, be, to live in New York. And so she went actually to study in New York and then came back one uh, summer to visit her parents in India, still didn't like the place, didn't want to be there. And that night there was a knock on the door, late at night. She was closest, so she opened the door and a man was there and saying, is there a doctor who can come and care for my wife? She's about to have a baby, but she's having difficulty. And Ida said, yeah, my father can come. And he said, no, 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 I couldn't have a man see my wife in the state she's in. No, no, no. She said, well, my father is the only doctor. There are no female doctors. He's the only doctor. And he's like, I couldn't possibly have a man. And so he left. And then about two hours later, there was another knock on the door. And another man said the same thing. Could a doctor come? She said, my father can come right now. Said, no, 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 I couldn't have a man look at my wife in, in that state. No, 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 I couldn't. 
She said, but I think your wife is in, it sounds to me like your wife is in real danger. I couldn't have a, a, a man look at my wife. And so he left. And then a third guy came an hour later. She was awake the whole night. And in the morning, she heard the wail from across the, the neighborhood, the area they were in, the cries. And she asked her servant what's happened. And he said, today there's going to be three funerals because three women died in childbirth last night. And God spoke to her. He arrested her in that moment. And what happened was Ida went back to the States and she trained as the, one of the first female uh, doctors in the, uh, in the time that she lived, certainly in India. And this is what it says in the end, end of the book. It has been over 100 years since Ida Scudder returned to Vellore to set up a medical clinic for women. Today, the Vellore Christian Medical College and Hospital operates much like a small town. It has a staff of 5,000 people, including 596 doctors, 1,545 nurses, 183 teaching staff. The medical college, which Ida fought so hard to preserve, takes in 60 students a year, with a minimum of 25 of those being women. Ida's compassion for the women of India came from her understanding of God. <laughs> It's when, we, it's when we see God that the world, we change and the world around us begins to change. Like uh, I'll, I'll rename them, but a couple called Sean and Trudy, who are part of our community, who have fostered numbers of kids from very difficult backgrounds and have changed their lives. Why? Because they have encountered the God who's a father to the fatherless. And it's changed their lives and changing the lives of those around us. The greater our revelation, the greater the demonstration of who he is. So this morning, let's take a little time. don't know what your background, where you've come from, whether you're not a believer yet, you don't yet follow Jesus, whether you've been following many years, you can never go deep enough in the, in the view of God and our understanding of him. Let's read Exodus chapter 3. And this is a, one of the, the most famous early stories in the Bible, well worth us looking at. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the middle of the bush. He looked and the bush was burning, but it wasn't burned up. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush isn't burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. The Israelites at the time were slaves to the Egyptians, so they were an entire nation that lived as slaves. Moses had escaped, and that's why he's where he is. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
the more famous you are, the simpler your name. If you have a surname today, I'm afraid you're just not famous enough. (laughs) Prince Rogers Nelson simply became Prince. And then he became a symbol, which confused everybody. But he was just Prince. Paul David Hewison is simply Bono. Thomas the Tank Engine, (laughs) to many small boys, is simply Thomas. Don't have to say Thomas who? He's simply Thomas. The more famous you are, the shorter your name. When God introduces himself, he just says, I am. From the Hebrew verb haya, which means I exist. You can't get much more famous than that. (laughs) I am. I exist. And he also calls himself the Lord, which... Uh, when you, they wrote down the Hebrew Bible for many years, they didn't write any vowels. So it was simply the, the letters Y-H-W-H, which when pronounced, and we're not sure exactly how it was pronounced, but most likely it's pronounced Yahweh. I am the Lord. And it comes from the same root we think, Yahweh, the Lord. This is how God introduces himself to us. I am, I am Yahweh. This is the name. And Jehovah is another way of pronouncing it. You might have heard that name. I am Yahweh. I am. God introduces himself to us. In fact, it's the most common name for God. 5,000 times and more in the Bible, God is called Yahweh. I am. And, you know, although it uses a different word, uh, when we begin the Bible, right at the first, in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the first point, really, isn't this? God just is. (laughs) That's the message of the Bible. God just is. He exists. He is. And, you know, uh, the Bible is quite clear. It doesn't explain God or where he's from. It just says he is. In the beginning, God. That's the start of the Bible. You can't get more straightforward than that. In the beginning, God. I am I exist. And, you know, that's the, the default view of the Bible. And some take objection to that. You know, I have a, a highly kind of scientific background. For A-level, I did double maths, physics, and chemistry, which for some of you think I need some kind of medication for that. But that was my background. I love science. I then went on to do physics and engineering at university. I love science. I have a high regard for science. But the, the reality is that many will use science like this and they'll say, I don't accept that belief that God just is, is acceptable. I would say, prove that God exists scientifically. The problem with that viewpoint is that if you ask others to prove their belief scientifically, they just can't do it. And so you can't have it both ways. And, and the reality is this, even the statement for something to be true, it must be proved scientifically, cannot be proved by science. You cannot prove that statement to be true. And so you kind of get lost in your own maze at that point. The Bible definition of God is that God just is. That's the assumption upon which everything else comes. Some things cannot be proved scientifically. That just shows not the limitation of that thing, but the limitation of science itself. Like, for example, if you love chocolate chip mint ice cream, 
I know, just go with me for a minute. If you love chocolate chip ice cream, no matter how much you eat, you cannot prove to me that you love it scientifically. (laughs) Some of you are going to take this as an experiment this week. You can't prove it to me scientifically because love cannot be proved scientifically. And some things just are beyond the realms of science. Andrew Wilson in his book, Incomparable, Incomparable, says this, The fact is we believe things that make sense of the world as we see it. So the point is, how does belief or non-belief in God make sense of the world? Our belief has to make sense of every fact there is. People who do not believe in God have to make sense of beauty. The fact that the universe came into being in the first place. The occurrence of miracles. The awareness in people that there is such a thing as evil. The existence of things like conscience and emotions and the sense of God that seems to be present in every civilization we have ever discovered. Often the explanations for these things outside of God are so ridiculous they call into question the very worldview itself. Denying the existence of God creates more problems than it solves. It was those realities and an encounter with God that moved me from the position of being an atheist to realizing that there is a God. And, you know, when we're honest enough, when we stand before God, the great I am, it's like standing before a mountain. I don't know if you love mountains. If you do, you're kind of living in the wrong town. But if you love mountains and perhaps on holiday have stood in front of a mountain, you will have noticed one thing. How do you feel when you stand in front of a mountain? Very, very small. I remember being on a holiday one time and I saw the mountain and stood before it and felt very, very small. And then I went back later into town and saw a picture of some people hundreds of years before standing in front of the same mountain. (laughs) Hundreds of years earlier, it was a photo of people and they stood where I had stood. And I not only felt very, very small, I felt very, very (laughs) time-bound. The mountain had not moved or changed in all those hundreds of years. And I stood where they stood and now they are long gone. And one day I too will be long gone. And I felt very small and very insignificant as I stood before the mountain. And when we come to God, I think the very first and very appropriate response for us as we stand before the great I am is it reminds ourselves that he does not revolve around us we revolve around him. We revolve around him. Yahweh, I am. That's where we begin. In the beginning, God. But notice how he introduces himself to Moses. Yahweh, I am, the God of your fathers. He is not just the immovable I am. He is the God of your father. So when he introduces himself, he introduces himself into Moses' world as someone who knows your fathers and who therefore knows you. (laughs) I am not distant from you, Moses. I have always known your family line. I have always known you and seen you. And for me, the one of the revelations was knowing that God had always been there, even when I didn't recognize. I spoke to many people who've come to, to faith, Steve and others, and suddenly they've realized as they've come to know the great I am, he's always known me. <laughs> He's always been there and they begin to trace their journey back and realize, gosh, there was that moment and then there was this moment, there was that moment. I never saw him, but he was there like the mountain in the background. He was present in my story. He is the great I am who says, I'm the God of your fathers. 
And this is what David writes in Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, O my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. When David stood before the rock, he no longer felt insignificant because he realized he's my rock. (laughs) He is my rock. He is the rock around which I revolve and he knows me. He is my strength and my fortress. That would be the first thing. And the second thing was this. Yahweh has created in the beginning God. He uses a different word for God there, but it's the same concept. God had not yet revealed himself as Yahweh. In the beginning, God, the great I am, created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 4 says the same thing. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The reality is God created. And we can worry about the mode of creation, like when my four-year-old would come to me years ago and say, after he'd been spent hours sweating over the Lego in his room and come out with a creation and say, Dad, look at this. And I would say, wow, at 10 pieces of bricks hardly holding together. Wow, who made that? And he would say, I did. I can delve into the mode of creation. I can say, how long did it take you and where were you? And were you on your bed or the floor or standing on your head or picking your nose? Or what were you doing as you made this? Or I can just accept and receive, you made it. It's the same for us, isn't it, with God? We can either debate and discuss, and there's not that it's a bad thing to do. Was it through evolution, a long time, or an instantaneous creation, or... An instantaneous creation, forget that bit. You just, you just blanked out for a minute. Or was it an instantaneous... <laughs> Some of you are like, I lost five seconds of my life there, and what happened? Uh, was it an instantaneous creation? I felt the same way. Was it an instantaneous creation? And it's all good to debate those things, but fundamentally we mustn't, in all of that thought, miss the reality in the beginning, God, and he created the heavens and the earth. Because when we understand that, it does to death several things. Uh, the view that I held, materialism, that all there is is the world in front of you. And you suddenly realize, gosh, if God created, then he's separate from creation. Therefore, there's more than creation. And it opens your mind to a whole world, a whole realm, that spirit, not just material. And man alive, that gets interesting <laughs> when you start to think about that and explore that. And then there's dualism, that God and everything have always existed together. And it kind of does to death that belief because it says in the beginning was God and then he created. Or paganism, which would say, well, God is nature and nature is God and they're kind of in, they're, they are the same. And you realize, no, no, God is separate from his creation. He has created it and he loved it, but he is different to it. Yahweh created it. And then kind of leads us on to the conclusion, which is this. Yahweh revealed because you could at this point be thinking well it's a little bit gosh a little bit distant a little bit cold you know kind of like the the rock it's not exactly huggable is it it's not exactly you know you can imagine God's PR department saying we need a bit of do a bit of work on this you know a bit of softer lighting maybe a few trees to soften it up we need to do something with this It's a little bit distant, like the long-lost uncle that 
you know, you've never met, some family members have, some people say he's got a big nose, some people say he's got hairy knuckles, some people say he's got webbed toes. You don't really know. <laughs> you've never met him. But what we begin to see in Scripture then is the Yahweh who just is, the Yahweh who just created them begins to reveal himself through the story of his people. Through the story of his people, he begins to, sh- begins to show who Yahweh is. In Genesis 22, Abraham, one of Yahweh's earliest followers, says, is in a time of massive need and he needs desperately provision and God provides through a ram with its horns caught in a bush and God reveals himself then as Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh who will provide. And then in Exodus 15, when the people of Israel are kind of lost in the wilderness, wandering around, desperately afraid that they are going to get sick through the the filthy water that they had to drink. And God cleans up the water and then reveals himself as Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals you. And then in Exodus 17, where the people are under attack and God comes and encounters them in that place and God reveals himself in that place as Yahweh Nissi, the God who is a banner, like the banner of an army, the point that you rally around. And he reveals himself in that time at that place. And then Leviticus 20, when God's people have suddenly begun to realize, gosh, he is not just I am, he is incredibly holy. And they felt very, very filthy and sinful and kind of gross and they wondered could we approach him even and God was beginning to help them see that they could but there were some issues to deal with and he reveals himself as Yahweh Makadesh, Yahweh who makes you holy and then in Judges 6 when Gideon who was a man who was so filled with fear he made water the softy look like Jason Bourne and he encounters God and God reveals himself as Yahweh Shalom God who brings you peace. And then Psalm 23, when David, who was the great warrior king, who was a shepherd, begins to meditate on the fact that God also is like a shepherd. God reveals himself as Yahweh Rohi, Yahweh your shepherd. And then Ezekiel 44, when God's people had rebelled against God and made a total mess of their lives through their own mistakes, they'd messed it up and they were so far away from their homeland They didn't know if they would ever see it again or if they'd ever know God again. And God reveals himself as Yahweh Shema, the God who is there. Even when you are far, he is there. And then in Isaiah 1, when Isaiah is meditating on the threat against God's people, and he's meditating on the fact that they could so easily be wiped out, and God reveals himself as Yahweh Sabaoth, the God, the Yahweh of the hosts, speaking of the hosts of angelic beings that are on his side, Yahweh. Notice that it's when his people are in trial that God shows himself to be all the more glorious. We start at the beginning of the Bible with Yahweh, I am. And as the story unfolds, we see this like an unfolding garment of such beauty. We see God in all his glory. And notice as well that he's not just Yahweh the peace or Yahweh the shepherd. He is Yahweh our peace and Yahweh my shepherd. He is the one who reveals himself in relationship to us as we journey with him 
he shows us who he is. And that's the story of the scriptures and the story of the Bible is a people who walk with God and every day they walk with him, they open their eyes in marvel at how good he is and how wonderful he is. It's a personal revelation. It's Yahweh revealed. And as Rosanna brought in the worship, as we look back, we see we won. (laughs) That Yahweh overcame and he overcame with us and through us and in us that we see it from the end as we don't see it from the beginning. And and that would be our story and Caroline and I's story, you know, when I was an atheist and didn't know if I could ever find God and felt far from him. And suddenly he broke in one night in my bedroom and revealed himself as Yahweh Shammah, the God who was there. <laughs> and that he'd always been there and I'd just never seen it. And then Caroline was in chronic pain as we were early married in chronic back pain. And he revealed himself as Yahweh Rophe the God who heals. And we literally together watched her leg grow out in front of us as it grew, as God touched her and healed her. And then the very real fear when one of our children we feared was going to be born very sick. And as we prayed and cried out to God and we found and encountered Yahweh Shalom, the God who is our peace. All we could do was wait until the baby was born. If you've ever been in a place like that, you'll know the very real fear of just waiting. And yet he was Yahweh Shalom. And then, you know, when God called me to work for the church and I decided to volunteer one day a week. But we were really afraid because of the lack of money and we'd be better make it work and everything. And then at the end of the year, when I did my tax return and I compared it to the previous year, I realized I'd earn more working four days a week, volunteering one day for the church, than I had the previous year when I was working five days a week. And he revealed himself as Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides. On and on. Yahweh, his unfolding goodness. Maybe take some time this week, just to, if you're a believer, just to reflect through your journey and see Yahweh. See the God who has been with you. See the God who is your peace. See the God who is your comfort. Because I'll tell you what it will do. It will expand your vision on the inside, which will prepare you for what is yet to come. And you'll see that like the people that have gone before you, the God of your fathers has always been with you and is still revealing himself to you. And the greatest is yet to come. The greatest adventures. And we sometimes struggle, don't we? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And even particularly people who follow him. But when we get an understanding, well, that's a complicated question. There's lots of different answers. But perhaps one of the answers is it's when we're in our most desperate and when we're in times of need that we can see him for who he really is in a way that we can't see him at other times. I know that's a complicated question with lots of different answers. But perhaps one answer is that. We find him and know him in a way that we could never know him in our self-sufficiency and our lack of need. We can know him. And, and the other thing, of course, is this, that this all points to Jesus. That the greatest revelation of Yahweh was to come in Jesus. And it says of Jesus that he was the exact representation of God. The great revelation is this, that You can't understand God without reading the Bible and you can't understand the Bible without looking through the lens of Jesus and realizing that all of these names point and crystallize in one person, Jesus Christ, the God-man who came to represent God in all these ways, which is why, you know, he revealed himself as, I will never leave you or forsake you, Yahweh Shema. (laughs) I am the Prince of Peace, Yahweh Shalom. In this world, 
you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yahweh, Nisi, our banner. He revealed himself in the, to be the fulfillment of all of these things. So the question for us is, where do you go? This is the lesson, isn't it? Where do we go in times of need? Do we go to the bank of mum and dad? Or do we go to Yahweh Jireh? The God who provides. There's some mums and dads in the room who are like, praise the Lord for that word. Preach it. <laughs> preach that again and preach it hard. Linger. Linger there. Linger. <laughs> Where do we go? Where do we go when we're in need? It's not that it's wrong to go to the bank of mum and dad. But if that's our first port of what call, I wonder if we've really stopped to get the revelation of Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides. Where do we go when we're alone? Do we plug into Facebook? Do we drown our sorrows, try desperately to get some connection, have relationships that are, we know are wrong, even look for sex in the wrong places? Where do we go when we're alone? Or do we come to Yahweh Shema? The God is there. The God who said through Jesus, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Where do we go when we're under attack? Do we go to the fridge? Do we rally around the fridge? <laughs> the fridge, my banner, <laughs> my stronghold, the snack cupboard. Or what other form of comfort we choose? Do we rally there or do we come to Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh our banner, our rallying point, Yahweh, who's the Yahweh of hosts? Do we come there? Where do we go? And this will show us really the revelation and the extent of it. And the more, as I said at the beginning, the greater the revelation, the greater the demonstration. The point is this, that he is the God who reveals himself through all of our journey. He is the God who reveals himself through Jesus. And this is obviously the conclusion. He is the God who wants to reveal himself through us. He wants to reveal himself through us. The generation before have left us a legacy of the God that they knew, the God that they walked with, the God that was with them through thick and thin. And our question is, how are we going to leave our legacy? How are we going to push in and find our legacy and leave it behind? How are we going to write the stories down of what God has done for us and communicate them through the arts and through media? How are we going to leave a legacy through books and through music? What is your part in leaving a legacy for the generation to come of telling your story because the only reason that we stand is on the shoulders of our forefathers and the fact is they went through it they found God and they wrote, down, wrote it down <laughs> they declared it for us and our job is to decide how are we going to pass it on how are we going to help those around us to encounter the God the Yahweh that we have known one of my heroes of the faith is a guy called John G. Lake and he was an amazing kind of healing evangelist who worked in the States and in Africa. And this is what it says of him. In, at his funeral, someone said this, Doc, Dr. Lake came to our town. He found us in sin. He found us in sickness. He found us in poverty of spirit. He found us in despair. But he revealed to us such a Christ as we had never dreamed of knowing this side of heaven. We thought the victory was over there. But Dr. Lake revealed to us that the victory was here. That statement, since I first read it, has resonated in my heart. 
And I've prayed, God, I want to leave people with a picture of Christ that they never dreamed they would see this side of heaven. I don't do it perfectly, but a picture of Christ through me that they never dreamed they would encounter. What does that look like for you? How can you grow in that? Leaving every person you encounter, every person who knows you with a picture of Jesus that they never dreamed they would encounter this side of heaven. What does that mean for you? What does it look like? How do you grow in that? Well, first it starts with a revelation. It starts with basking. It starts with soaking in. And as we do, we will naturally demonstrate it around. I was praying recently for a couple, just last week at a conference from Croatia, and he sent me this message. Hi, Simon. Thanks, thanks you. You took the time for us. We really appreciate it. It was very helpful for us. Someone prophesied, I think it was you or Mark Marks, that we would see more healing and breakthrough immediately. And yesterday I prayed at my workplace in the dry cleaners. I prayed for one of the customers and she was totally healed. Afterwards we had a church meeting where two people got healed and one person was set free. Two people accepted Jesus and people were touched by the Holy Spirit. But maybe more important was that something's changed in our hearts after you prayed for us. May God bless you and your ministry. So good. As I said, I don't model it perfectly, but my ambition is to bask in this God, the God I am, the God who created, but the God who's then revealed himself as a banner, as a shepherd, as a peace, as a shield, as a God of hosts, and find him and then reveal him as best as I can to the world around. What's it for you? Yahweh. Now at least when we sing that song, you'll know what it means. <laughs> <laughs>